0: Our Bible passage is from Romans 12, 14 to 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. All right, it's nice to see everyone, uh, either in person or virtually. Had a short jaunt to Northern California last Sunday, but it was nice to uh, be able to fellowship uh, on, uh, through virtual means. Um, we've arrived at the final message of our four-part series on the theme of reforming habits. Uh, we've thought about, especially in light of the pandemic, how certain unhealthy habits can be dropped and how to develop new habits uh, that are spiritually beneficial by way of review, um, here are the topics of focus that we've covered uh, from different sections of Romans twelve. so we started out with um paul's talk about uh, living uh, offering our bodies as living sacrifices uh, as a part of worship to God we moved on to interdependence, right? the picture of the body of Christ, how they are uh, connected uh, one to another. And then last week, we talked about zeal, right? fervor, heartfeltness, um, when it comes to serving God and loving one another. Uh, today, as you see, our uh, focus will be on harmony, harmony or peace, Uh, That's what Paul uh, admonishes us uh, to have. Uh, The main point of today's message, like I said, centers on this concept of harmony and peace. Uh, In a Christian context, we can say that Paul is uh, pointing us to greater unity in the body of Christ. Uh, If we try to kind of bundle these ideas together, uh, we get a a desirable picture of Christians practicing and promoting um, unitive habits that protect, promote, and strengthen a God-given harmony and oneness. Uh, in recent months, uh, uh, we've seen uh, many faces of conflict uh, emerge and kind of rage on really. Uh, the pandemic with its COVID protocols, mask wearing, and now vaccines uh, precipitated uh, many points of contention, um, argument among regions, political parties and communities. Uh, racial inequities have instigated protests and counter-protests. All the stress and restrictions on regular in-person gatherings have really dampened uh, our ability to iron out differences and resolve issues as they might have in the past. Some prior tensions may have boiled over to, into full-blown hostilities So Paul's words for the church in Rome are still so timely for communities, churches, uh, families, friendships, workplaces, uh, the world over. Now, there are many Bible passages which speak on this, of course. Uh, I will not belabor this point other than referencing uh, John 17, 20 to 21. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Great verses. As in all human relations, maintaining or experiencing a robust type of unity is hard work. Um, In the church, I think John 17 arguably puts even more pressure on achieving this harmony. It uses the divine triunity, the trinity as a model, uh, and the credibility of the gospel message, it says, kind of hangs in the balance. Uh, Many, uh, if not all people uh, in a group need to expend energy and effort to strengthen this dynamic. And there are a number of things which can weaken the kind of healthy harmony that Paul describes. Uh, And I want to go over what those are in Romans 12. I organized my sermon, hence I organized my sermon around what I'll refer to as harmony breakers. Harmony breakers or harmony busters, if you like that term. Um, I'm going to have to jump around a little amongst uh, the various verses. So with the help of our admin and projection people... I attempted a not-so-fancy color-coding scheme to help us to keep the verses straight. So uh, at the top, um, mauve, I think that's the right term. Mauve is the color of verses about the harmony that Paul wants us to uh, pursue. The blue uh, portions tell us verses about pride and conceit. Right, the green sections will talk about avoiding apathy and indifference, and then orange verses address uh, vindictiveness. So yeah, these are the harmony breakers. If we're full of conceit, if we practice indifference, if we're engaged in vindictiveness, harmony is not possible. Will be broken. Um, the next slide then will be our kind of the next slides will be kind of our main template uh, for the day. Kind of, it's just a. Our verses kind of color coded, right? Again, uh, the key verse um, sixteen, first part of sixteen, live in harmony with one another. It's really straightforward, right? Uh, And it does not need much comment. But I thought a brief word on verse uh, eighteen might be helpful. Um, We can see how difficult it is uh, to be at peace with everyone. Uh, Paul indicates this by uh, kind of adding two provisos. First, he says, if it is possible. Now, what that means is that sometimes harmony is not possible, right? no matter how hard you try. And second, as far as it depends on you. Right? So sometimes it's not only what we can do. Uh, others are involved. There are other factors that come um, into play. So I think he knows that harmony is not easily attained let alone uh, guaranteed. It's true. Sometimes peace and harmony are not within our grasp. Conflict is reality. Unresolved conflict can persist. Uh, We can try our best, though there is probably plenty of room for us to make more effort. But after all is said and done, sometimes this blessed harmony is not the final outcome. Maybe not even uh, at important junctures. But that does not mean that we should give up. Uh, Paul's version of harmony is worth fighting for, so to speak. In other words, we've got to keep at it. We've got to keep at it. Uh, It reminded me of uh, uh, Abe Lincoln's speech in uh, the 2012 movie uh, with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis playing the 16th president. Uh, th- this scene is, um, which I'm going to describe is after, uh, you know, the, the House, uh, the, the, they dramatically passed the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery. So Lincoln and his secretary of state are trying to negotiate for a peaceful surrender by the Confederacy, but it wasn't going well. They weren't seeing eye to eye. Of course, both sides are trying to take the moral high ground. Uh, Lincoln is arguing for the value of democratic processes while the Southern representatives accuse him of hypocrisy for using the force of arms to defeat them. So Lincoln responds with the excerpt that I selected. Uh, But say that all we've done is show the world that democracy isn't chaos that there is a great invisible strength in a people's union. Say we've shown that a people can endure awful sacrifice and yet cohere. Uh, Mightn't that save at least the idea of democracy to aspire to, eventually to become worthy of? Uh, At all rates, whatever may be proven by blood and sacrifice must have been proved by now. Uh, shall we stop uh, this bleeding? Yeah. Unfortunately, they continue to fight, and then there's more, more death uh, and all that. If you look at this passage, uh, uh, this, this excerpt, uh, these words are pretty relevant uh, on the national and political landscape, even in 2021, right? And I think if Paul heard these words, he says, "Okay, if you guys think do- the democratic coherence is worth preserving." How much more is Christian harmony? How much more valuable uh, is it? Uh, I tend to think that the peace that Paul is getting at here is more than just some sort of ceasefire arrangement, like we hear about, you know, armed conflict, you know, in, in the West Bank or anywhere around the world. His harmony, his peace, is deeper than that, or maybe it's better described as thicker, a thicker unity, a thicker harmony because i think sometimes a, a veneer of peace right an appearance of peace it, it can be readily achieved uh, you can avoid dealing with it you can be lenient you can have false peace um, to be distracted whatever right? but paul's harmony uh, envisions something more than that a real working out uh, of differences right uh, mutual yielding, surrendering, uh, a, a stickiness of trust and commitment that enfolds um, moral convictions, even along a diverse spectrum. A web of sincere connections that not only endures trials and tribulations, but grows um, more unbreakable yeah, with each challenge. So it's not mere harmony, it's kind of this like like super harmony or powerful harmony that Paul presents and that we should aspire to. It's hard, it's elusive, but it's precious. That's what he's saying. And so it may not come easily or painlessly, but we should ever be in pursuit of it and and if we ever achieve it, once achieved, Uh, we should jealously guard it uh, because of its rarity and beauty. So that's the intro. Uh, Let's move on to the first harmony breaker that we should shun in our personal and collective lives, and that is conceit, conceit, pride. That's the blue-hued verse 16, the second half. Uh, It kind of states it pretty plainly uh, as well, right? Do not be proud, but be willing to associate people of opposition. Do not be... Uh, conceded. So I won't spend too much time on this first harmony breaker because I think the point is clear and has been made many times before. Right? But Pride, haughtiness, self-importance—it can be fatal to the harmony of, of any group, Christian or otherwise. When minds refuse to try to work together, groups cannot stay together. Of course, you know I'm not saying we need unanimity or complete consensus. Disagreement, dissent, critical thinking, and even argument, um, I believe, uh, should uh, have their place in a real body of Christ. But It is when people think of themselves as wiser, or better, um, or smarter than others, to the point of unwillingness to uh, associate with their fellows that it becomes a huge problem. Right? The words uh, translated, do not be conceited, actually are more literally uh, rendered in the Greek as, do not be wise in your own eyes. Meaning that if you think you are wise, irrespective of objective reality of what anybody thinks or what God thinks, then we're on the path of being conceited, being thinking ourselves special better than everyone else. And it's that kind of disparity. It's that kind of like self elevation at the expense of others, which can really become problematic. I'm more right than others. I'm better than others. I'm higher than others. What that does is it, it, it creates distance with, between us, right? Uh, pride uh, tends to isolate a person so that they do not feel solidarity or connection with others. When that happens, harmony is at risk. Um, you know, uh, even in the this, the way the, the NIV 84 translates um, in, in 16A, our, our premise, all right? Live in harmony. Um, it's it's something kind of a little bit, even a little bit more narrower than kind of a general harmonious ethos. Um, it's actually uh you can translate it as having the same mind. So living in harmony means having the same mind. A phrase that Paul repeats in Philippians 2. You guys remember that whole hymn to Christ and and, and unity in the body of Christ. In both that passage and in this one, he talks about like-mindedness, being of the same mind. Not just kind of like, let's just acknowledge our differences and, and, and try not to fight. That's the, 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 the thin version of harmony. But Paul's version of harmony is try to have the same mind, pursue the same mind. And that mind is the mind of Christ, of course. not just your mind versus my mind. It's the mind of Christ that is the uh, standard. So in order to have this, right, in order to be like-minded, what do we need? Humility, right? That's the harmo- harmony uh, promoter. If pride is a harmony breaker, then humility is a harmony promoter. You know, while conceit leads us to think that we are better than others, humility tempers that to make us realize that we are not. Indeed, uh, we are all sinners right through and through. There's really no one who is better or worse, no higher or lower. Uh, recall that back in verse 3 of chapter 12, Paul says, see yourself or think of yourselves with sober judgment, right? level-headed, God-given, sober judgment. And I think Paul is making the same argument here when he says that all of us should be willing to associate with people of low position. If we're truly humble, then we can recognize that there is really nobody lower than us, right? Uh, at least spiritually. So if you're unwilling to associate with people uh, as such, in truth, what you're saying is you don't want to associate with anybody right? because th- we are exactly the same. So, yeah, pride, it really does lead to this kind of dissolution and distance, uh, even isolation. So, you know, I want to bring it back to this idea of habit. How do we develop the habit where we um, uh, avoid or stay away from conceit, from this harmony buster? Uh, so I'm just, for myself, I thought I would try it this way. I've been trying to, when I think, when I look at somebody, I'm trying not to um, dwell on, oh, they seem to know more than me or they're of a higher position than me. Um, I'm trying not to focus on, especially the differences so that I don't get jealous or I don't get envious or I don't try to you know, bring them down uh, to my level. Um, actually when I think of oh this person has more than me I've been kind of praying for an an insight into well what's the other areas of their life yeah where are they weak where is their difficulty could be family background could be health could be personality issues you know we all have them even the great uh, people uh, among us Uh, thereby I'm trying to avoid putting people in some sort of hierarchical ladder so that I don't think ill of them. Likewise, I'm trying to avoid habitually making a snap judgment, right? Of let's say somebody that I don't think is, that I don't think is as equal to me, right? So I've been trying to see through my initial um, first impression. What strengths? What powers, what advantages and excellencies do they have that I don't know yet? How can I get to become privy to, you know, the great things that God has um, bestowed upon them? So I'm trying not to box people. That's that's the habit I'm trying to form. Don't box people in. Actually, I'd rather box in my own conceit, my haughtiness, my self-assessed advantages, right? I try to see that people are right, uh, the same as me, strengths and weaknesses, harmony and uh, equivalence. Um, there was a really good movie a few years ago, Hidden Figures, right? a Movie based on real events about several black women who worked uh, technical jobs for NASA uh, in 1961. Um, there was of course a lot of segregation by race and sex uh, for example, when Catherine uh, Goebel, um, a brilliant mathematician, walks into her new office uh, after being assigned to the Project Mercury team, uh, for the first time, her coworkers uh, automatically assume right, she was a custodian right, and not a peer. Um, but she turns out to be the genius among geniuses. Right? She... Uh, and a computer, which kind of started to displace these jobs, showed some calculation errors. She was able to work out um, a solution by hand using her analytic uh, geometry expertise you know, for the rocket launch and cor- and uh, landing coordinates and This was true of a number of black female figures who were overlooked, dismissed, and, and hidden from view or promotion. Uh, due to racial and gender conceit. Let's think about that. Where does that appear in our lives? Where does that appear in our fellowship? Uh, Let's move on to the second type of harmony breaker that I've identified, indifference. Uh, Let's go back to our verses uh, for a bit. You see in verse 15 and 18, this coded green, how Paul states, in my mind, the opposite of indifference. And that is being committed to each other to the point of being mutually affected by each other. And people who share life in harmony can be affected by each other greatly. Paul identifies two extremes, joy and sorrow, as a kind of the range of experience that we can and should share together. So when we've attained real harmony, rejoicing with those who rejoice, it's, it's a given. Right, Mourning with those who are grieving is a byproduct of this commitment to one another. So I was thinking that, in a sense, the opposite of uh, harmony is not necessarily conflict or disunity, although you know, these are present. The opposite of harmony is more insouciance or apathy. How can I be disharmonious with you? By not caring. Right? Not really being concerned with you at all. And in, 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 in turn, you kind of ignoring any realities, any, any goods or bads uh, in my life. And this is a way to fail to reach Paul's uh, harmony. Not really letting others affect me and not wanting others to be affected by me. Yeah. So again, back to this isolation, this insularity. When I'm in my own head, when I'm in my own world, Right, We can't have harmony right? because I'm struggling with myself. I don't have space, room, interest, time, energies, resources uh, for you. When my own problems, high and low, dominate my life to the point of not caring or being cared about by others, then I can't be in harmony with them. So, you know, we need to pursue this kind of, again, interdependence. this kind of interest, kind of care, kind of concern, almost like a symbiosis, where what happens to you affects me, what happens to me affects you. I think that's what Paul is exhorting. He's not satisfied with just superficial relationships um, that have the veneer of harmony, uh, when I can share in your triumphs and travails, and you, 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 in mine, then though life might be our lives might be messy, they will be harmoniously so, right? If that makes uh, sense. I think that's the charm of small town life, right? And and I've never really lived in a small town. I've always been, you know, a city person. But uh, when you see it depicted on. On, on the screen or tv shows or maybe you have personal experience yeah that's the kind of the, the the power and the draw of you know neighborhoods that are like intergenerational communities people know what's going on with the people next door and they have done so for many years and sometimes some of them are nosy some of them are gossips some of them are a pain in their in, in, the, in the rears, but. They, they know that they'll be there and they're interested, right? Um, I think this is a common phrase. We take care of our own, right? We don't need some city slicker coming in and offering the, the latest and the greatest, right? We know our people and we care for our people. I, I find that attractive, right? With all of its, you know, problems, all of its struggles. Um, that, that is maybe what, you know, uh, kind of what the picture of what Paul means by, by harmony uh, in his writings. Um, I want to look at uh, verse the second half of verse 17 again, uh, green accent. I think it, it says something that can kind of be easily misunderstood. Uh, he says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Uh, I think it, it almost sounds like Paul is saying, you got to please everybody. That harmony requir- requires that everybody be consulted. Everybody be happy. Everybody be this kind of uh, in in this kind of uh, agreement. First, we know that is impossible. We we can't please everybody. Second, you know, biblically speaking, the only person that really uh, we really need to please and stand upright before it is God Himself. So what I believe the verse is actually saying is that um, interests and in the conscious level, conscience level, of other people. Uh, is important. In other words, decisions that I make for myself should not only be simpatico with myself and God, but when possible, edifying to others. So let's say that I'm thinking about doing something, even if I'm good with you know, what I want to do, and I think you know, God is okay with it, I need to ask that extra question. if How it impacts other people, how it impacts my neighborhood, my community, my small town. In the example I gave, it really is kind of a collectivist approach to my life rather than an individualistic approach. What I do impacts my community. What my community does impacts me. So I need to exercise at least a little care in what I think, do, and say. I may end up doing, I may end up deciding, I may end up acting the same way, but it is not a choice that is indifferent uh, to others. You know, God has made us interdependent, whether we like it or not. I'm not an island. I'm not a solo player. My actions affect others and vice versa. A, a simple habit, right, then, uh, which kind of came up in earlier messages, to help build up this conviction, is, is I've suggested that we try to extend our sphere of responsibility, okay? at least in terms of impact. So when a person is single, right? Um, his or her responsibility may not extend very far beyond him or herself, but if you get married, a married person, and especially those with families, you have to take into account the impact of your decisions right, on multiple persons. That's probably true in a very like, close-knit company um, at least in the context of their employment and i think all the more so it should be true of church relationships so try this select one person one other person outside your family uh, that you feel maybe spiritually connected to uh, either an individual or uh, another family and, and think about the choices and perspectives that you have if you went ahead with what you're thinking how would it uh, how might it impact this additional person or family? In other words, you kind of embrace them and think about right, how your the way you are living your life. You know, is it edifying to them? Is it detrimental to them? Right, and kind uh, of continue to expand that sense of responsibility. Right? How can my rejoicing becomes something that helps them? How can my sorrow be shared and maybe helped by them? And the other way around, right? By doing this, will I be able to experience them more closely? Can I uh, help them? Can I carry their burdens as well, uh, this way, in this way, I'm wondering if we might be able to tear down our walls of indifference and um, instead build more pathways of empathy and sharing and uh, harmony. Okay, so we've looked at uh, conceit, we've looked at indifference. Uh, the last harmony breaker that I think Paul is teaching about relates to vindictiveness or vengeance. It actually covers the most real estate. Uh, in the passage, so the orange background in our verse uh, selection. Yeah, Paul um, seems to acknowledge that mistreatment and the perpetration of evil is alive and well. Uh, that we may be unfairly treated or misunderstood seems par for the Christian course. Uh, yet, in reaction or response, uh, Paul encourages the habit of not only restraint, but patience, patience as well. Uh, He even goes as far to say that instead of evil for evil, right? Evil for evil is a variation of lex talionis, the law of retaliation, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. He he says, don't respond in kind, right? If someone treats you with evil, don't return evil, even if though you may have the right to do it. rather repay evil with good. We should bless those who persecute us instead of responding with like harm or wrong or hatred. uh, We can use the opportunity to bring God's grace and justice to bear into the situation. This is heavyweight stuff. It's it's not just kind of like, you know, accept your brother or let it slide. It's like, somehow, uh, take, the anger and the and the entitlement and 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 even the justice that you have and submit that to God right allow him to work um, in ways that you cannot right? and that kind of action I think can really make that kind of restraint that kind of patience can really make a group more harmonious right think about it. if people took vengeance whenever they were offended. You know, there really is no end. Everyone will try to get their last licks. Only the myth of redemptive violence triumphs. It gets the last laugh as a string of broken bodies and broken hearts right, grows ever uh, longer. When we don't take matters into our own hands, but uh, bring it to God and let him be God, I think we're actually introducing or or bringing the gospel to bear into uh, the conflict by holding back vengeance. We may be able to sacrificially preserve the harmony of the group or the relationship. Uh, Paul says, don't take vengeance, but entrust justice to God, right? God's wrath, God's justice and vengeance belongs to him and him alone. He will do his part in due time. Rather, what we're doing is waiting on God. We are his instruments possibly to extend his grace? Paul quotes Proverbs twenty-five. You know Ed led us in uh, prayer on Proverbs that um, these instruct that the opposite of retaliation or vengeance is actually uh, to give them what they don't expect. A hungry enemy should not be further starved, but fed. A thirsty enemy should be given water. Right? Thereby, we're kind of like burning away the hatred or the problem, the pride that caused the problem in the first place. Um, We're allowing their conscience to be touched or torched, as it were, uh, by God. I think this is the meaning of heaping burning coals on an enemy's head. Uh, My final example is just uh, something that I've shared before. Uh, I thought it was kind of timely. Um, there's the 2021 is the 20th year, 20th anniversary of the 9-11, September 11th, uh, destruction of the Twin Towers in, in New York. Um, there's a writer that you guys might ha- have uh you familiar with, Ewan, uh, Ian McEwan, um, he, he, he was reflecting, uh, this was right after the tragedy, about um, a thought about how the people who were dying reacted to the planes barreling into the, uh, the, the buildings or you know, being crashed. Um, he says a San Francisco husband slept through his wife's call from the World Trade Center. The tower was burning around her and she was speaking on her mobile phone. She left her last message to him on the answering machine. A TV station played it to us while it showed the husband standing there listening. Somehow he was able to bear hearing it again. We heard her tell him through her sobbing that there was no escape for her. The building was on fire and there was no way down the stairs. She was calling to say goodbye. There was really only one thing for her to say, uh, those three words, um, I love you, that all the terrible art, the worst pop songs and movies, the most seductive lies can somehow never cheapen. I love you. She said it over and over again before the line went dead. And that is what they were all saying down their phones from the hijacked planes and the burning towers. There's only love and then oblivion. Love was all that they had to set against the hatred of their murderers. That was their response. So here are a few of the final conversations recorded on cell phones and emails sent by those who died on that tragic day. Hey Jules, it's Brian. I'm on the plane and it's hijacked and it doesn't look good. I just wanted to let you know that I love you and I hope to see you again. Mommy, the building is on fire. There's smoke coming through the walls. I can't breathe. I love you, mommy, goodbye. Honey, something terrible is happening. I don't think I'm going to make it. I don't think I'm going to make it. I love you. Take care of the children. Yeah. Um, It was a universal reaction, right? This kind of love. People were calling their loved ones and they weren't like cursing out, right? The hijackers or the terrorists. What was important to them was to share what they could, and that was what they had control over, uh, their love for uh, their beloved. Right? Uh, there's something really redemptive about that, I think. It's an act of defiance against evil and violence and hatred. The love was all that they had to set themselves against the hatred uh, of their murderers. Right? Yeah. Uh, in the face of horrible acts of hatred of, of uh, this kind of violence. Yeah. Somehow the, the thing that redeems, if you will, uh, I can re- redeem the tragedy, uh, redeem humanity out of all sin and evil, um, is love. Right? And that's what God has done. Uh, that's what the cross is. Right? The cross is God's non-retaliatory is non vindictiveness against human sin and human evil and now nine eleven does not necessarily cover the example here does not cover direct response victim to perpetrator. What if it did? Uh, maybe we'd have a little less nine eleven horrors in our world. You know, the powerful imagery of a person who expects retribution or aggression from us instead. Receives our love prayers and blessings, it's so transformative, right God can use this kind of these coals right these live coals to burn away our animus and malice. When I look in my own heart, I think there is quite a bit of vindictiveness. I may sugarcoat it as oh, it's my sense of justice, but it's just probably pain masquerading as something more spiritual. Um, I can't believe how sometimes I want. If I've been wronged, I want the wronger to experience wrong. I may not express it, but if you x-rayed my heart, you would find these lesions. And if it doesn't mess up the group around me, making it disharmonious, it makes my heart, yeah, uh, peaceless. So how to get the habit, right? How to get the habit of this kind of entrustment to God to avoid vindictiveness. Um... <laughs> That Those quotes that I read, I heard that a rabbi, he memorizes them. He stings them every day to remember the tragedy and to keep this in mind. That That's a crazy habit. I don't think I could ever do anything uh, like that. But what I've been trying to do is to, uh, whenever I feel this urge or surge of, of vengeance or kind of whatever I'm, I'm struggling with, I kind of reflect on those that have already poured live coals, on my head, not treating me as I deserve, not repaying my bad with good. Um, no, no. They, they repay my bad with good. They uh, respond to my disinterest with concern and care. They you know, defeat my conceit with their uh, grace. Right? And I think a lot of you are those kind of coal shovelers as I think about uh, brothers and sisters showering me with burning love. Yourself getting singed in the process of Yeah, making harmony uh, in this body of Christ real, week in, week out, day after day. Uh, So uh, that's what I'm trying to do with my reformed habits. Um, I want to take us to prayer so that you will think likewise as well. You will have time to reflect. Father, thank you for the words from Apostle Paul. Thank you that uh, he knows. Um, the reality, the difficulty, and yet the beauty and power of uh, real harmony, Christ-like harmony. Lord, uh, there are many types of things that can disturb and and break and um, destroy uh, this peace, Uh, and uh, to the extent that we can fight against it, that we can work against it, that we can uh, experience uh, the kind of closeness and the kind of connection that you desire. Please help us, please pour out your grace personally, individually and corporately. We ask that uh, we can all seek habits that move and change us for uh, to this endeavor In Jesus name we pray, amen. Let's continue a few moments to um, just reflect we've done four messages on this. Whichever one, even today's message, if it touched you, uh, let us give uh, the, the Spirit some time to um, continue to work in us.